In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Richard and I talk about the Sixers' 112-104 win over the Brooklyn Nets, about the 44-8 run they gave up to get behind, about the way they clawed themselves back, Joel Embiid's completely dominant performance, and how some of the pieces, some of the new pieces looked in Brett Brown's makeshift rotation with Ben Simmons out of the lineup. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can head on over to theathletic.com slash Beat to get 40% off of a yearly subscription and get access to all of our written content. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. Not uh, not feeling so good about the Sixers bench right now. But Oof. Oof. that was uh, that was one doozy of a performance. Sixers ended up pulling out a 112 to 104 win in overtime against the Brooklyn Nets. They now improved to 26 and two at the Wells Fargo. They're they're within a a half a game of fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, which means they would host a first round playoff matchup, which right now would be with. Jimmy Butler and those Miami Heat. That's their fourth straight win, going back to before the All-Star break. It did not feel like a win for most of the night. No. And, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the, uh, I think Wes, our uh, our editor on my piece today, called it a ghastly 44-6 to <laughs> or whatever the hell it was run. And that was, that's a good word. You can use a lot of words that are very negative. It was one of the weirder games. You will see Sixers make four threes in the year of our Lord 2020 and win a basketball game. No Ben Simmons, which I, I think to start things off, that made things weird because he plays the third most minutes in the NBA, so it's it's unlike him to be out. But, uh, you know, as much as we're going to talk about how Horford struggled, how bad that offense looked for that long stretch, how bad the defense looked for that long stretch um, – you know, some of the contributions from Burks and all these other guys, the lack of ball handling, as weird and as unsatisfying in some ways as that game was, it's important, man. You got to win that game. And you see Miami, somebody else loses to the Hawks, not the Sixers. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good to see. Man, did you see some of the highlights from that game, by the way? No, I didn't. I didn't. I saw, I, I saw some Trey highlights as it was going on, as we were sitting on a press row, specifically the, uh, the, the logo three, where he then pointed to it, which was fantastic. But no, I did not see very many. He made our old friend Andre Iguodala look. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw that one. I, pretty bad a few times. It, I remember that one, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the Heat lose that game, and now the Sixers are only a half a game behind Miami. They don't have that tiebreaker, of course, because I was there. They lost by a thousand to them to, uh, to fall to three and one, or one and three on the year against them. But, uh, it seems like they have a decent chance of, of being that four seed. I mean, I, I couple, it was really just at the start of this homestand when they had lost four games in a row. I wasn't there for this, but didn't Elton Brand say, I'm a realist. We're going to start on the road in the playoffs. I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but there, he definitely said, I'm a realist. And I, I think you might be right. I think you might be right. So, Hey, look, it was, uh, it was an important game to win and, and they found a way to do it with a little luck, a lot of Joel and bead, um, yeah, so, so it was important, but, uh, yeah, certainly one of the weirder games we will see 
for a team that plays a lot of weird games, if we're being honest. Yes. Yes, they do. Where do we want to start off with this one? I guess, do we want to start off with that 44-6 to run by the Nets? Or do we want to start off with the comeback and the eventual win in overtime? Do you want, to, do you want a, a positive podcast or a slightly negative podcast? I mean, I think we can do a little bit of both, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. So let's, let's start, start off, with, let's with, start off with the run. Yeah. So over from five, around 545, midway through the first quarter until about three minutes left in the second quarter. So you're talking about a, a solid 15-minute run here, just about. Sixers were outscored 44 to 8. They shot 3 for 20 from the field, had six turnovers, and gave up 15 of 31 shooting to the Nets, including <laughs> 6 of 11 from three-point range. Three of goddamn 20, Rich. And two of those were by Tobias Harris, who was really the only one who showed up during that stretch. You had a, a decent chunk of time, a six to seven-minute stretch with both Joel Embiid and Al Horford on the court. That was disastrous. They started off the second quarter with the Nets outscoring the Sixers 16 to nothing. They There was a, a time not only did you have Embiid and Richardson on the floor, but, or Embiid and Horford on the floor, but you had Josh Richardson as, as a point guard. Like you said, Ben Simmons plays, I think he averages about 36, 37 minutes per night. Lately, it's been a lot more than that. So they do not have to dip into the backup point guard rotation all that heavily. And Brown seemed like he had no real answer for that. So what was your major takeaway there of that stretch? Boo! <laughs> no, it was, uh, <laughs> it is funny that. During the middle of it, I did, I, our, our, our good friend Legs, um, at Legs Sanity on Twitter, tweeted at, tweeted at us a picture of actual garbanzo beans. So I, the only response I had to that run was to tweet out a picture of garbanzo beans because that's what the offense was. And the defense wasn't that much better. Like Brooklyn was getting into the paint. At will, especially when Embiid was out of the game. There was nothing, you know, Brooklyn sent a lot of double teams Embiid's way. Embiid didn't really handle it all that well. When he did, the Sixers shot 0 for 8 from three-point range. They didn't defend well. They turned the ball over. They got ISO heavy. There was everything that could have been wrong was wrong. And it was, a team should not be outscored 44 to 8 and pull out a win. And that is the They shouldn't be outscored by that much in just in a game at all. I mean, yeah. winning is absurd. So, so my biggest takeaway is what you said initially. It's that the worst offense that I saw during that terrible stretch was the lineup when Embiid and Horford were on the court and Josh Rich Richardson was the point guard. They were playing a lot out of what the Sixers call be deny. It's clear that, uh, this was one of those situations where Brett Brown, he wanted to master vanilla in his own words with the new guys. And it seemed clear listening to Alec Burks after the game. You know, he, got, he got a question about how the all-star break maybe got him a little more familiar with the offense. He really doesn't. I mean, I think he was, he, like, he was pretty Nobody honest. was around here. Well, like, what was I going to do? Like, There's nothing to practice. There's no scrimmages, no pickup, no nothing. Yeah, We all were across the country. A lot of us were on beaches, you know, <laughs> one of those things. So, and, and you know, that's a set where there's a lot of options. They've been running that for years. There are dribble handoffs available. There are pin downs. Embiid can roll into the post. You can run a pick and roll out of it. I don't really have a ton of issues with the plays they ran, but there is one thing I would have liked to see more during that stretch, and that is Burks on the ball with, uh, with Horford running pick and pop. But, you know, back to when... It was just Horford or it was just Embiid. I thought the Sixers got some pretty decent shots and they missed them. Whether it was Matisse Diable attacking 
TLC. I thought that was a good shot of floater. Matisse got Al an open shot baseline, on the baseline, wide open. Yep. Tobias later, I think this was in the second quarter, off a of pick and roll, got Al a wide open corner three. These yep. were decent shots. And Matisse had another corner three. I think Tobias started that runoff with a pretty good floater that when he's on his game. And look, he had a very good second half, but like when he, he makes that shot pretty regularly. Yeah, I think it started off, there was some decent offense with some good looks. And then and when then, I thought when Joe, Joe was in the game by himself too, like they doubled him a few times. He got Richardson a wide open three that he missed by five feet, which was probably only the Sixers like fifth worst shot of the night. I think Burks is three at the end of regulation where I'm not sure it got above the rim. Well, and then, and then the Embiid shot. had a step back. I don't know if it was a three or a long two, but he had a step back to start the second quarter, which didn't even come close to. Yeah. DeAndre Jordan had a pretty bad one too. There were, there were more air balls than you usually see in an NBA game. It, it contributed to the weirdness that I'm talking about. But like when it was just, you know, when it was just Horford or just Embiid, I thought it was okay. The, uh, by the way, before we get on to the more systematic things as we run through all the players, the, uh, the different outcomes that you can get from the corkster on a given night <laughs> are, um, pretty wide. They ran two man a few times and it was bad. Um, so, but when it was both Embiid and Horford and Jay Rich as the only ball handler, and that should be Burks. And frankly, I don't know what the point of Burks is if he's standing on the opposite corner when Ferky's running elbow. To be fair, they did. I mean, they, they corrected that in the second half. Yeah. They put him on ball a lot more. Yep. But with those units, it wasn't just that they were missing shots and they were running good offense. That offense they were running with that crew was complete garbanzo beans. Punchless. And that's pretty scary because, you know, you think of, okay, you're not starting Horford and Embiid, but, I mean, Embiid... Horford like, can't let, be a 12-minute-per-game player. Yeah, playoffs, right? Yeah. He played 36 minutes last night. So if it's a close game, that's roughly what he's going to play. You're going to have to play them at some times. Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. And uh one quick thought on Horford while he's on my mind. I really think we underestimated how reliant he is on having multiple penetrating guards and wings who can run a pick and roll and force defenders to go over screens. In in Boston, I would say he had one of the better stables of players who can do that. Here, though, it's, you know, almost nobody. And yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is, but if he's playing without Embiid, he has to tear up some butt one like Jared Allen by stretching the floor, and he's just not doing it right now. And then, uh, you know, I think part of that too is is Jay Rich at point guard. I don't want to go as far as to say that that's complete garbanzo beans. Pretty like if you rem- what's up? It's it's not too far away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but if you remember, I, I thought he really helped them win a couple of games when Embiid was out. With the uh, with the hand inj- uh, injury, by making shots in the pick and roll, I, sure. Boston at home was one. Knicks on the road; those are the ones that come to mind right away. But Brett has to get a better gauge on when to use it and when to pull the plug because because of what you've talked about this finesse, herky jerky quality with not great vision. There isn't just as much sustainability, consistency. It's almost like it doesn't matter what the defense is doing. There are nights when Jay Rich has it. That fourth quarter in Indiana comes to mind, the first heat game. 
or he doesn't. And I think for that reason, I don't think you can go into a game saying Josh is going to be our primary backup, as Brett would call it, ball carrier for long stretches because there are going to be way too many nights when it's just not there. You have guys like last night going way the hell under on screens, and he's missed a bunch of them, so then he hesitates, and you can't have that. And, you know, so for Brett, it's got to be like, okay, maybe Burks is the backup point guard, but maybe Jay Rich has a good matchup. It's got to be a little sprinkle, a little taste. It's almost like a chef dipping the uh, the wooden spoon into the pasta sauce to see how it tastes. That's all. Yeah. Let's give him one pick and roll call here, see, see how he does. But to me, there needs to be a different plan A, and the combination of that with how poor Horford is when he's not in the primary action, especially when he plays without Embiid, it was a disaster. Yeah, I mean, look, Richardson, he can get his shot off a of pick and roll. And like you said, when that's going in, it can look good. But he's he's like every other pick and roll ball handler they have like there's just no there's no outside of the incredibly obvious there's nothing that's creative if Richardson gets going it's because he's hitting that pull-up mid-range jumper if Alec Burks gets going and he's another one where there's no real vision he, it's because he's hitting at least in his case it's at least occasionally a step back three but it's because he's hitting the shot off the, the pick and roll and sometimes maybe they have just enough vision where they can hit the roll man hopefully that's Ben Simmons because then he has vision where he can make something happen for everybody else on the court. But there's no way to really involve the rest of the players. There's no way to punish any kind of rotations from their defenders. And it's, like you said, it's it's 100% reliant on them making individual shots. Thursday night, Josh Richardson wasn't making those shots. Alec Burks was. At least you got one of two. So you got something going in that, that pick and roll game. But when you look at these great teams, they're really hard to guard teams. You've got somebody pulling that defender out and who can also then make passes behind that. And the Sixers just don't, it, it, it's a real, real missing skill set. But Burks did help. Like you said, it was good that they put him on the ball in the second half. I do wonder how much of the first half was just sort of like, he's been here two games. He hasn't had any real time with, but it, it's a high pick and roll. It's, this isn't something it's not rocket science. with. Yeah. So I think it's good that they made that adjustment. You want to see more of it in the first half, especially when the offense was just complete garbanzo beans. But, they did have that second half. Burks got hot, hit a couple of threes, ended up with 19 points in 29 minutes, uh, 30 minutes, 6 of 11 shooting, 2 for 4 from 3. Got to the free throw line five times, one assist. He's good at that. Getting the free throw line? Yep. Yeah. Or, no, he can, he's he he's better at it than certainly the guys were accustomed to. <laughs> right. Um, like he threw his body into a guy on a drive, just sensing that there was going to be contact. And I was like, wait, you're allowed to do that? Yeah. Well, both both the the three pointer off the dribble and throwing yourself into players in the paint. Um, it's a new can, world. Yes, it is. Sixers basketball, twenty twenty. But it was, you know, I think in the first half. And look, we get everyone gets on Ben for what he doesn't do, but he really does create shots on the perimeter for his 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 cohorts that nobody else on the team really does. Yep. And you know, Sixers shot four for twenty two from three. Both of those numbers are very significant. The fact they only got four, or that they only got 22 attempts and they only made four. And, you know, I think they shot like eight for 20-something, like right around 30% against the Clippers. So you've got you got two wins in a row where they didn't shoot well from the outside. But they just, they they first of all, they were stuck in a half-court game almost the entire night. And this team isn't really equipped to do that. And that's 
partly because they couldn't get stops in the first half, partly because you didn't have Ben Simmons push the ball. And then you didn't have anybody to suck in the defense and make a, a kick-out pass, which, look, Ben Simmons can drive us all insane because he'll, he'll push the ball to the free-throw line, jump up in the air, turn around, and just find an outlet. And sometimes you – a lot of times you want to look at the rim. But at least he sucks in that defense in a way that nobody else on his team team does. So there's – yeah, they miss a lot of open threes. Um, but in a weird way, and it sounds stupid when they shot four for 22, I would I would have liked to have seen more. You know, there's a lot of debate about Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Do they fit? Do you have to move on? Do you have to split them up? Do you have to, you know, are we at the point where we're at the definition of insanity, which feels like an insane statement because we are two and a half years into this pairing. But the first half, I think, really showed how much you need Ben Simmons. And the second half really showed how incredible Joel Embiid could be. And as much as we want to, because the Sixers have changed every, quite literally, every piece around those two over the last three years. We feel like we're at the point where, okay, well, you have, if this doesn't work, you have to change one of those two pieces along with the head coach. And I just, I, be careful. Be careful. Yeah. The grass is not always greener. And, and in this case, I would say it's definitely not greener. The, uh, 100%, uh, the one, yep. the one point that I would make about that is that whenever the Sixers have been struggling this year, the, the thing that I think crosses the line just into kind of insanity is if somebody would say it's got to be Embiid or Simmons. I'm not sure they get along with each other. And that to me, frankly, both parts of that statement, there really isn't a ton of evidence there. Not recently, at least I guess the main talking point would be Jojo's uh, passive aggressive comments about Ben not shooting, which he has walked back in a pretty big way recently. But besides that, not a ton of evidence there except Maybe they're not the best of friends. Now, if you want to say, do their games mesh perfectly? Probably not. No. And that's fair. Yep. But, uh, but both of those two, like you said, they're too damn good. It's not the rent. The talent is too damn high for them to be broken up as anything other than the last possible resort. What do you make of, uh, have you noticed on, on Instagram and on social media, there's sort of a love fest between those yeah. two? Yep. What do you make of that? It's a good question. You know, I think there's I, there's certainly a pushback to all of the talk, especially at All-Star Weekend. I'm sure they got – and I wasn't at All-Star Weekend this year. Hallelujah. But I'm sure they probably got asked a variation of that question 75 times. Like, do you get along? Can you coexist? Can you win a title together? There's probably a little bit of pushback of that. I don't think they outwardly – I've never thought they outwardly dislike each other. So especially when you're not – like, that's why it, to me it always comes back to do you can – like, is there – um, do you not reach your expectations? And when you're not in that environment, like I think it's really easy to be like, "Hey, f off!" Like, get along fine. So I think there was a, a I was a concern, probably. But I mean, my take has always been: I think they get along fine. Um, might there be some frustration on Embiid's part sometimes that Ben doesn't shoot? Probably. I mean, Embiid's human. I think there's frustration in all of our parts when Ben just won't shoot. Is there but frustration from Ben that? Joel's not in shape. Yeah, we don't I'm know sure because Ben doesn't have any reactions. He's a cyborg. But maybe. <laughs> right. But assuming he is human, I'm sure he probably was frustrated at the beginning of the year. That's fine. That doesn't mean they want to be broken up. They want to be separated. They don't believe that they can coexist. You know, I think, I think we, and by we, I mean general we, media, sports fans, like we want everything to be absolute and things just aren't always absolute. It might, like with any relationship, you can be frustrated at times. And then come back to each other. Or you can be frustrated and still want to be together. Or eventually, sometimes it can get absolute at the end, and then you break up. 
I don't think we're anywhere near. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I think they're going to be frustration and not want to be, you know, part. I just wonder what got into them, whether it was Brett or it was between them or maybe even like a shared frustration with the roster and Horford that they realized, even if it's social media presenting a united front would be a positive step. Because if this was Bill Simmons, it would be like, you know, this stuff matters. And, you know, like, I don't want to overreact that far because I don't know. It seems a tad forced to me, but I think whatever the reason is that they're deciding to do it, it's a good thing. Yeah. And I don't, <laughs> you know, you go on, 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 let's say Twitter or Reddit, like every act of solidarity fans will hashtag, oh, they hate each other. And I think that like downplays the concern of, of, I mean, can you get frustrated by re- you know, not meeting expectations. It was sort of like what happened with Jimmy Butler. Like every time, you know, Jimmy Butler like bought Sixers coworkers shoes and it was like, oh, he's the greatest person ever. And it's like, we like to overreact in both ways. So I, I like to avoid sort of these acts on social media as much as I can until Joe forces our hand by talking about Jimmy Butler and going to Miami on, on Instagram. So don't do that, Joe. But, but other than that, like, I just, I don't give too much credence because it's, 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 very much a public statement and that can be, you know, pushed in either direction. Speaking of social media, I think the great Jeff Jeff McDev on Twitter, he made a comment that the average WIP caller will call Alec Burks, Alex Burke, (laughs) which I think is spot on. And I believe that Brett called him Alex Burke in the press conference twice, which definitely called him Burke. I don't know if he had Alex. I I think he might've had Alec. And maybe it just came off wrong. I've definitely heard him say Alec, but he was definitely calling him Burke too. Can we can we talk about something for a minute though? I, I would say in dealing with the media, which in Philadelphia is a non-trivial part of the head coaching job description, Brett Brown might be the GOAT. He talks a ton, unlike coaches in other sports. Although I, I kind of thought Gabe said some interesting stuff. He's a little weird. But unlike most coaches, I would say, in other sports. I mean, Gabe had a, he had a a weekly radio show. Yeah. He's actually pretty informative. And, and with the hand that he has been dealt, a good one, but a weird one, there comes expectations and with that tough questions, because it's Philadelphia and a bit of a circus as well, which I, you know, I don't want to say he's completely not responsible for it, but some of it he's not responsible for. And I think he handles it all really, really well. All of that said, He's kind of bad with names. Yes. He just started calling Neto Raul. Yeah, he did. A few months ago, like for like a week. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get this Burks thing right, but just just something to watch because I, I didn't think he was that close last night. And, you know, I, I guess it only matters if he starts calling the right plays for him and pulls him out of the corner when Fricky's running two-man game. But are, are you bad with names? I don't know. I, I think the listeners can probably answer this question better than me. I feel like I'm not awful. Like my pronunciation. No, no, is just with just with people, re- like, like remembering in, them in your personal life when you when you just meet somebody and maybe you, you forget them quickly. I would say I'm bad the first time or two, but once it like commits to memory, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Like if I meet you once, I probably didn't remember your name, but if I've met you a couple times and it sinks in, yeah. 
Yeah. In real life, I'm not that good with names, but I am pretty excellent, I think, at remembering full character names from a movie or TV show, even kind of obscure older ones. Well, uh, see that that I'm I'm not as good with for sure. Yeah, I pride myself on that, but I'm I'm a loser as well. Speaking of Neto, by the way, I don't love his defense, and I really haven't all season. When the uh, comparison is Trey Burke, sure, it's better, but he's just so small, man. And yep. you know, he's small, and he was getting swallowed up by screens too. Yeah, and and while I think this roster construction obviously leaves a lot to be desired. You can see a little of what they were thinking and not wanting any targets on defense. Because, you know, a team like Brooklyn, and I don't think, you know, with all the pick and roll they run, I don't think they're a picnic to watch because there's a lot of really crappy dribbling uh, on that team and no passing and very little movement when things are going wrong outside of Joe Harris. But they just kept hunting him, and, you know, he does the little hard hedge thing, and it just sucks. It reminded me of, Reddick getting hunted last year. And that's, uh, that was the problem with starting and closing with two minimum guys in this game while a $30 million player is on the bench. Yikes. <laughs> where, where do you think Horford goes from here, honestly? I have no idea. I, I mean, I have no idea. It just, th- those minutes when those two are together, it looks so bad. So bad, not only for, for Horford and the fact that he's a 9% usage guy that's shooting like, 36% from the field or whatever it is when he's next to Embiid. And it's also bad for Embiid because he just, I mean, I, I posted the stats not too long ago, but like his, his frequency of getting the free throw line, I think he goes from like maybe nine free throw attempts per hundred per 100 possessions alongside Horford to like 14. He goes from like a 46% shooter to like a 53, 54% shooter. So it impacts both of them. And also then obviously the team in pretty drastic ways. It, I, I don't know. Like if you're Al Horford, let's say let's say you're Al Horford, and you play 12 minutes per game in a playoff, do you request? I probably request a trade. Like he's 33 right now, he'll he'll be 34 later this spring. This contract is the last real shot to play meaningful minutes. Like I I don't want to be playing 12 minutes per game, but I just don't know if you can if you can't fit him next to your franchise player. It's it's a real tough spot there. Real t- and look, he'll be a good backup center for the stretch run. He wasn't last night. No- or uh, sorry. A few Thursday ago night, yeah, against uh, against Brooklyn, and no, that was a problem. He was better in the second half, but yeah, you're right, you're right. He made some timely plays, but God, I don't know. It's something about Brooklyn, and I know the first time he came back from injury, he looked pretty slow in Brooklyn. They got their doors blown off as they they sometimes get killed there. Uh, the difference between him and Embiid on the back line, like when Dinwiddie is charging. At them on a pick and roll or a Levert, oh, it's night and day. Yep, their eyes light up against Horford and against Embiid. They're pretty much hitting the brakes as soon as they hit the free throw line. It's it's pretty remarkable to watch, and that's not all on Horford because Embiid is better at that than everybody. Yep, but man, it, it is quite a difference. All right, let's end this on a semi-positive note. Yeah, they did so, win the game. I, I do want to give them credit. The it was, and and the one thing. I will say that was even more impressive about winning the game. We know this team likes to dig holes at home and climb back out of them. I'm kind of thinking of the Knicks game earlier this year. It's happened a few times. Simmons is really important in like the third quarter of those games in just playing great defense and getting them, I don't know, 10 easy points, whether 
Tim on the break or creating threes. They didn't have him last night. So we're sorry. A couple nights ago. Rich, come on. I don't know, man. I can't. <laughs> I am what I am. The, uh, but they didn't have him. So it wasn't as easy as it always is. And they had to stick to a, a slower game plan with Embiid. And, you know, they got a little bit lucky, but they got it done. All right, so let's finish this off. You know, from the three-minute mark, the Sixers, I, I thought, really saved their game in the final minutes of the second quarter. Uh, had a 12-2 run to end the half. Clawed back to within 10 at the break. From the 3.08 mark of the second quarter until the end of overtime, so we're talking about a stretch of 32 minutes, basically. Joel Embiid played 27 of those 32 minutes, had 28 points and 12 rebounds, during that stretch, 15 of 16 from the free throw line. And Ooh. I thought the most impressive thing, first of all, he played 27 of 32 minutes in the second half of a basketball game. Wasn't too winded either. It didn't look winded. Like his effort level towards the end of that game in minute 38, 39, 40, 41 was incredible. Took one he, bad shot before Horford came in a little bit in uh, with like six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter because he had just played a ton. But I'm with you, man. He was fantastic his defense was excellent he was getting the free throw line he was making his free throws i thought he got bailed out a little bit uh by the play that they that brooklyn ran you know he was guarding wilson chandler and chandler just roamed around under the basket and allowed allowed joel to essentially guard two people by himself rather than making them force a decision but Embiid was incredibly active defensively he was active on the boards which wasn't always throughout the night Uh, i thought that was the one real weakness in his game but he was, I mean, he was, he was fantastic. And for him to have that kind of, you know, you, you, you talked earlier in the season that his conditioning could be something where he works his way back into shape slowly throughout the season and it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, I'm not going to go that far. That's not that, that big of a deal, but he did look better. I don't know if November Joel Embiid has the energy in him to will that team to victory like they did on Thursday night. And you still have 26 games left. You still have two months of the season. If he can be consistently on the court and get back into optimal or at least good enough shape for the playoffs, that will be a, I mean, that'll, that'll be a big development. If you get the version of Joel Embiid you got against the Nets, if you got the version of Joel Embiid that you got against the Clippers, I mean, this is a completely different team. And that was, that was good to see. I was, I was honestly very impressed for, for two people who have been pretty critical of Joel Embiid and his conditioning and the way he came into this season. Uh, I was, I, I was impressed with his effort. We've talked a lot about how the difference between him going up against bad defense and good defense, like Marcus Gasol, is drastic. And what was worrying is that coming back from the injury in the lead up to the All-Star break, he wasn't always dominating the type of competition that he routinely destroyed in the past. This was a return to form, and it was uh, it was good to see. I think, uh, you know, when you talk about Embiid's great performance – as good as he was down the stretch, and that was on both ends, I thought it, it was almost hard to pick what was better, the offense or the defense. I think the defense was honestly a little bit better just because Brooklyn had nowhere to go. And again, you say that, and he scored 28 points oh. in 27 minutes of play from the three-minute mark on, yeah. Monster. They were just throwing him the, the ball in the post, and he was willing himself to the line, and he was making all of his free throws. Jared Allen, he's not exactly a slappy. He's a good young starting center. And pretty much every time he plays against the Sixers, Embiid looks like the senior star on the varsity 
and he looks like a bench warmer on the freshman yeah. team. As as you mentioned yesterday, now it's me. As you mentioned during the game on Thursday, uh, Brett calling him the kid from Brooklyn in the second round or in, in the playoff series last year. That was after the first round playoff series last year. The Sixers were talking about the step up in competition that Gasol would be for Embiid. And honestly, they probably undersold it a little bit. I think at that point, though, yeah, Brett said, no offense to the kid from Brooklyn. And uh, <laughs> while I don't think the comment was out of line and Brett didn't mean any malice by it, it was like, whoa, that is a, that's a lot of disrespect for a guy who's <laughs> a decent player. And it's it's mostly a skill set thing. Jarrett Allen is a skinny rim runner and lob threat. That is a useful skill set in the modern NBA. But it's also one that Embiid eats alive if you can't shoot from the perimeter. Yep. He can just chill around the rim, take away any lob possible, and he backdoor cut while Thibel and Richardson and everybody overplays all those backdoors. And then on the other end, if you're not that strong, he's going to put you in the basket. And you could see the difference when DeAndre Jordan, not nearly as good as he used to be, never really considered a great defensive player, although... For the most part, that was against pick and rolls and not against post-up oh, bigs like yeah. Joel is. But just massive human being, DeAndre Jordan. It took Joe a quarter to figure him out, and he did. He, he started facing him up, and he, he started playing better. I think getting the splint off, that helped Embiid. Yeah. I don't know if it was that or it was the nine days off, I mean, outside of the All-Star game, which he, he played in. I, uh, I might have thrown a little lettuce on Embiid over 13 and a half on the, uh, the old DraftKings Sports app, by the way. Just saying. I, uh. Use code TOSS for your sign up bonus. They didn't it, even pass for it. It was that a one. pretty good bet. Yeah. It was, it was pretty easy. He, I, f- I figured he was going to get some crunch time minutes and he did. So as, as much though, as he talked about being physical, after the Brooklyn game, and he certainly was at the end. It wasn't like, I don't know, there are games, I'm trying to think, even game four last season in Brooklyn, maybe the Atlanta game earlier this season when another team plays small, where he's throwing guys out of the paint like he just entered the Royal Rumble. I didn't feel like it was that type of physical performance from him. But for him, the equation on offense, it's strength and skill. And if the skill isn't there, if he's not drilling shots in the mid-range, the crafty fouls go away. The back-to-the-basket post-ups become more necessary. So it's good that he wants to be physical. He should be ducking in hard in the half court and, more importantly, running the floor and getting that deep post position early because that's an easier way to do it. But that can't happen every trip. So the shooting matters too, and it was good to see that he was actually shooting straight again. Because I'm thinking back to the Milwaukee game before the All-Star break. If he's not shooting straight from the, the free throw line area, well, he's just a totally different player. Yeah. And he, he only attempted one three on the night, but he... It was a good you know, one, that, too. That, that early run he had in the first quarter, yeah, he had one or two post-ups, but a lot of that was face-up. A lot of that was 17-footers that he was making, and he had that touch. And you're right, that, that shooting stroke was not there for a while with that cast on. So hopefully it is... Uh, it is back because that is an important, especially like you said, when he's going up against these tougher, more physical defenders, he needs to be making that shot. And what, uh, and, what a and, weird game! It, oh, it was incredibly weird. Shake Milton and Alec Burks at the end. Yeah, what a world, huh? 
What a world. With when crazy they, layups, they, they spent, both of them, too. When they spent all that money in the offseason, that was not what you expected this closing lineup to be. In, uh, so in, in 34 minutes that Joel Embiid played without Al Horford on Thursday night, the Sixers outscored the Nets 79 to 45. <laughs> and Joel Embiid scored 34 points on 17 shots. <sighs> when he's playing like that, you got a chance, even if you, even if you give up a 44 to 8 run. Ugh. Yeah. The, uh, the only bad thing Embiid did all night, and this wasn't just him, but, he was certainly part of it with DeAndre from, from him on down really crappy job in securing defensive rebounds. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, that that really was happening, happening a lot during the game or during that 44 to eight run. I I don't even remember what the numbers are. It's so crazy. And it it happened later in the game. You should have seen us on press row trying to do math too, by, Ooh, Ooh. I I generally think I'm a, a pretty, mathematically inclined person, but trying to, you know, that was some pretty big uh, subtraction going on there with some of those numbers. Those were, those were big numbers, big numbers. So bad job on the offensive, on the uh, defensive glass. Good job by Joe on the offensive glass, though. I think he had six of them. And these, these were physical, you know, whether they were tap outs, these were not cheap offensive rebounds where you're standing there and, and the ball just comes right to you. So yeah, he was, he was awesome. And as much as the, rotation, who the backup point guard is, whatever the hell they're going to do with Horford matters. If the main takeaway from the night is that Joel Embiid looks like Joel Embiid, not bad. Super important. Yep. All right. So we have the Bucks, the much anticipated game in Milwaukee coming up later today. See, I'm, I'm doing the reverse. We're recording wow. this late on Friday night. I'm it's going to come out Saturday morning, so I'm, I'm projecting ahead. That's impressive stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. This is why we're professionals, people. Uh, so they have the, the much-anticipated rematch against Milwaukee Bucks later today. And then you have a, a pretty, well, I want to say an easy stretch of play with the Hawks, Cavs, and Knicks. But we've we've seen how some of those Hawks games can go. Should be an easy stretch of games. And then, of course, that West Coast trip with the Clippers and the Lakers. Some fun times coming up. We'll see if the Sixers can beat some. I mean, they've already beaten all of these Bucks, Clips, Lakers teams at the Wells Fargo Center. We'll see whether or not they can do that away from home. Yeah, you can play well and lose in Milwaukee, though. So they I, I, they I would also very play much really poorly and lose in Milwaukee too. I thought they were okay last time in Milwaukee. They didn't yeah. shoot well, and Joe couldn't shoot straight. So that the was problem, was that the final problem. game of that four game trip? Yeah, and that was yeah, a problem because the, the problem of the other three games. Yep. Yeah. And people were going to pile on, and it's it's only natural to do so. But I mean, that I was in the locker room. Machine, though, man. Yeah, Oof. I was in the locker room after that game, and it was nothing like the Milwaukee game a few nights before that, when they just got their ass kicked and they were terrible. They said, you know, it's not good because you know, we lost four in a row and we, we haven't stopped the bleeding yet. But to be fair, this was a tough spot, and they thought they competed pretty well. I, I would expect a similar type of game, and. You know, as much as we talk about Horford's uncertain role, this is a game where you can step up. Yeah. Yeah, he will He will get open shots, that is for sure. All right, we'll cut it off there. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.